Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Clyde Godwin. I'm a friend of Mark and Matt's, uh, Mark Upton and Matt Guzzi. I'm also good friends with Aaron Engel and Sarah. Uh, so uh, it's great to be here this morning and fill in for Aaron. Aaron is in a cohort I'm leading right now where we've got 10 ministry people who are going through uh, a workshop that meets once a month and I get to coach Aaron twice a month and he's telling me all your sins. And so um, I'm so glad I get to finally speak to you, particularly Stowe, who needs a lot of help. Uh, and so uh, I'm here to just, though, bring the good news to you. Uh, my wife, Al, and I have been married 48 years, and we live in Winston-Salem. Uh, and I am now working for Inago Partners. Inago is a Greek word for lead, which consults and works with pastors and churches to train them in the gospel and how to become better leaders because of the gospel. So that's one thing I'm doing, but uh, <clears throat> we have three adult children. Luke's 43, Anna's 39, Claire's 36. Luke has three children, Anna has two, and Claire has one. Claire's in DC, Anna's in Raleigh, and Luke's in Philadelphia. So we're very blessed to have a wonderful family. We just had a Great time at Smith Mountain Lake celebrating my wife Valerie's uh, 70th birthday. Um, and it was just a great, great week at Smith Mountain Lake. Um, you'll hear me give a lot of plugs for movies during this. Actually, I'll probably only plug one, but it was great to go to Smith Mountain Lake and see where they filmed the lakeside of What About Bob? So if you don't know that movie, Baby Steps, okay? Uh, but watch that movie if you want to watch a fun movie this weekend. Watch what, it's old, but you'll laugh. I mean, it's hysterical. Bill Murray, better than Groundhog Day, better than Caddyshack. It's his best movie. Okay, what about Bob? So, uh, with that said, though, introducing myself to you, we're talking this morning out of Jesus' prayer in John 17. We're going to talk about entering into your own story so that... You can see how Jesus has prayed for your story. We're going to talk about, are you living in the right story? But to get there, and before I read the scripture to you, I want to encourage you with three things. One of the things I do with everybody I coach, pastor, or work with, is you, you need three things in your life ongoing. Number one, the first leg of the stool is you need a coach. So uh, you need a coach. So a real quick story I was telling Aaron about when I was starting this ministry, trying to encourage him to come do it. And Aaron, who's a basketball player, immediately linked up with this story. So real quick, um, our son Luke is a doctor, and he, when he went to interview for his residency, he went to Mordor, a.k.a. Duke, a.k.a. Duke, um, and um, to look at whether he was going to do his residency at Duke Hospital. But he called me up. And for some of you, this might shock you, but I'm actually a big Coach K fan. I really like him, and so does Luke. And Luke said, hey, Dad, I get to hear Coach K talk. And I thought, great, I wish I was there. I'd love to be. It was at Grand Rounds in the hospital, which is the last Friday of every month or one of the Fridays every morning, early in the morning, 6.30. Anybody who's everybody has to come to Grand Rounds to hear about the latest in the hospital. So uh, Coach K is speaking. Luke goes to hear him early in the morning, and anybody who's everybody is right there um, at the meeting, and Coach K gets up and he says, I want to say something to everybody here this morning, whether you're a nurse, PA, research person, top surgeon, whatever, everyone needs a coach. 
And then he goes on to tell a story about being the coach of the dream team, the Olympic team. And he said, of course, Michael Jordan's on that team, UNC Duke rivalry, and they would joke and tease a lot. But he said at some point, Jordan's coming towards him. And he thought Jordan was going to jerk him around a little bit uh, because he just looked really focused, concentrated, intense. And he gets up in Coach K's face and he says, Coach K, I want you to coach me. And Coach K is blown away. At this point, Jordan's won three NBA titles, MVPs, won every award you can win but one. Um, But he says, Coach K, I want you to teach me how to become a better defensive player. So what Coach K had said, even no matter how hard you are, wherever you are in your organization, your life and your family, whatever, you need a coach. And he coached Jordan, and he put him through it. And guess what? Within a year or two, Jordan wins the one award he had not won, becoming the MVP for the best defensive player in the NBA. That's the one he had not won. Okay, so everybody here needs a coach. I told that story to Aaron. He says, I want you to coach me. (laughs) I'm not going to coach you basketball here, and I'm going to teach you about how to be a better pastor. And he said, I'm in. So so everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs community. Uh, So if you really want to grow and you really want to know Jesus better, the truth of the Bible is best understood and applied in groups and community. The imperatives in the New Testament are second person plural. Most of you speak Southern, y'all. So when it says be filled with the Spirit, it means y'all be filled with the Spirit. So if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I need to be in community with other people who want to be full of the Spirit. But most of us are like embers or coals, and we're trying to burn or make our life bright and strong apart from being in a collective of people who love and know Jesus. But when I, my, when I get low, when I lose my way, if you put me with other burning coals, I get hot. You take me out of that, my faith goes down. I get weak. I'm easily distracted. I'm easily tempted. I'm easily everything. But if I'm around people who are passionate with their desire to know Jesus better, I get hot. And uh, I light up like a Christmas tree because... We're designed to be in community. And then the third thing, which again, because of this community, and if you know uh, Mark and Matt and what they're about, you know that everyone needs a counselor. Now, you don't need a counselor all the time, but first of all, I'm going to back up because I'm going to go with the C's. You need a pastor, coach, you need community, you need church, but you need a counselor because there are points in your life where you're going to get stuck and you're going to find yourself living in the wrong story and you don't know how to get out of that wrong story. And good counselors are like surgeons. I tell people, as a pastor, I'm like your uh, general practice doctor. I'm an internal doc. I see a lot of the same stuff. But if you need a specialist, I'm going to help you get to a specialist. So um, Mark and Matt and this church partners with a number of great counseling communities, the Barnabas Center and other places, but you're going to need to get help. Um, and some of you have been suffering a long time. You, you know you've got a pastor, you know you've got community, but it's very hard to humble yourself um, and to ask for help. And hopefully that today you're going to get the courage to say um, what we sang in Audrey Asad's uh, song is, I have a fear of being humble. 
But again, here, let me say one thing to what I like to say to people is, you know what your superpower really is? It's humility. For everybody in this room, the way you are the strongest, best version of yourself, thank you, Ted Lasso, is that you humble yourself. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And more than giving grace, he gives you his very heart. So let's listen to John 16, 33, and then John 17, 1 through 6, and then 20 through 26. Here's the last thing Jesus says before he prays. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And what he's saying, let your heart be encouraged, but here's how you're going to find courage to follow Jesus. Uh, I love reading Bono's new book on surrender, where he says, Jesus is constantly saying to me, follow me, and I, I can't keep up, you know? Uh, and maybe you feel that way. I know I'm supposed to be following Jesus in my workplace. I'm supposed to be following Jesus in my marriage, my family, my friendships, my community. But I can't keep up. And usually it's because there's problems, there's struggles, there's hurt. But notice what Jesus says. I want you to find peace in me so that you want to take my heart into your heart. Okay? But listen to the way Jesus prays. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said... Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but for us, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be even may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O right, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. I encourage you just to sit there quietly and still your heart to let go of what's behind or ahead and just be present in Jesus' presence. Just to be like Mary, sitting at your feet, just wanting to soak in whatever Jesus has for you today. So I want you to be still and know that Jesus is your God, your good shepherd, your wonderful, merciful counselor, precious redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a, a lamb would rescue our souls? And so uh, will you let Jesus speak to your heart and take his heart into your heart today? 
so that you might find the assurance and the authority and the presence that's going to send you out from here to face whatever troubles you're in right now or facing. So, Jesus, come rescue us from ourselves. Uh, help us to be humble. We, we're, we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of admitting how much we need you, but we need you. And we say that out loud and clearly to you, Jesus, and to each other. We need each other so that we can need you together. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A guy who's an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine, uh, is an amazing speaker, teacher, has amazing podcasts. But he's got a point in his podcast because he's a recovering alcoholic where he talks about going to speak to this sort of gathering of 200 plus alcoholics to tell his story. But as his sponsor, his coach is listening to him, he realizes his story is off because it's just filled with snarkiness, cynicism. It's just laced with all kinds of stuff that you'd say, that's not the, God. That's not the way Jesus works. That's not the aroma of Jesus. That's the aroma of the way the world thinks and responds to hardship, problems, whatever. It's a great story. But afterwards, he's driving away with his sponsor, and his sponsor asks him, are you living in the right story? So here's the question I want to hang out there for you personally, for Hope Church. Are we living in the right story? Because what is it like when you live in the story that someone else has written for you, your parents' expectations, what the world says to you, that you're more concerned about managing your image rather than seeing yourself the way God sees you? Now here's how you know that you are living in the right story, that you're living as an answer to John 16, I mean 17, verse 26. Now listen to how Jesus prayed. I've made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The same love that the Father has for Jesus, had for Jesus, does have for Jesus, eternal love, Jesus wants us to experience that. He has prayed that for you. He is interceding for you now to know the same love. Now, question you can ask to your husband or to your wife or to your kids or have your kids ask you is, how would I be different if I believed that Jesus loves me as much as the Father loved him? How would you answer that question? How would you change? How would your level just go, whoo? How would your life begin to be differently because you've gone to, from being, in David Book's brilliant book, Second Mountain People, from living on the first mountain of resume virtues versus the second mountain of eulogy virtues. How would your life change if you believed that God loved you as much as he does? Well, here's one thing. You'd have a lot of joy. <laughs> you would have so much joy and uh, there's a guy that I'm coaching right now who's just a passionate follower, zealous, prophetic pastor for Jesus. But he's intense. And in some ways, he's angry in a good way at things that are wrong in his world, wrong in himself, wrong with his church. But he finally began to realize, I don't smile very much. And so part of his mission statement is to smile more, but he's actually asking me to help him to smile more. So what would it be like if you smile more? 
You know, you ever walked into a meeting uh, with the people, your coworkers, everybody's like, you know, or they don't even see you. But you made a point of looking, making eye contact with your boss, your employees, and smiling at them. I'm so thankful you're here today. It's so good to see you. A good friend of mine's here that we've known each other a long time. It's just so great because he's got a great smile. And I saw him, and he's already prayed for me. So anything that happens here, you can blame it on him, okay? Because he prayed for me this morning right before I got up here. But you know what it's like when you step into the presence of someone who their first response to seeing you is smile. And they smile in a way that you go, wow, is that the best smile ever? But you feel seen, you feel safe, you feel secure in this person's love by the way they smile at you. So I'm coaching up this pastor because his kids are starting to tell him how stern or hard or distracted. You know, the porch light's on, but nobody's at home when he's at his dinner table because he's thinking about all these problems he's got to solve at his church. His kids are just, he's got two adopted kids and two natural kids. But he's really saying, help me smile more. Now, see, that's when you know that Jesus' prayer for him is being answered because he knows for that to happen, he has to feel, experience in his heart, Jesus' heart in him. Jesus said, in me, you will have peace because you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Well, if you're looking at your heart, you're not going to get very far, but if you look at Jesus' heart for you, it will change you. It will make you different. Now, Jesus starts off his prayer saying, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name in me because this is the hour when I will go to the cross. And Jesus is going to reveal to us the glory of the Father through what he does for us on the cross. He is the perfect son, the perfect sacrifice, the substitute who... Became sin for us, that through him we might be made perfect once forever. We might be made holy once forever. He's going to reveal the Father's glory. Now, I'm a part of a nationwide men's ministry called New Canaan Society. I think there's a chapter here in Charlotte. Um, But there's 70 chapters across the country, 20,000 men who meet once a week to tell God's stories. So I'm going to tell you a God's story about how Jesus began to answer his prayer that I would know the love of the Father so that through that answered prayer, I might get a glimpse of how I can really change in the midst of a really deep distress. So uh, I go to New Canaan Society. It's a Friday morning. This is probably four or five years ago. And there's a fellow up there who's a graduate of Wake Forest, uh, where Mark and Matt and Aaron went, go Deeks. Uh, and so, um, but he's telling a story of being in a very low place in his life. And he talks about the story where Jesus is getting ready to raise Lazarus. Now, if you know the story, um, you know that he's getting ready to bring Lazarus out of the tomb. Martha, who's there, is chewing on him. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you rolling stone away? He stinks. Why, what are you doing this? Do you have people in your life who just love to go negative on you and preach to you why you shouldn't be excited? And why are you smiling so much? So wipe that smile off your face, you know? And so, uh, yeah, but you remember how Jesus responds to Martha's unbelief. He said, Martha, don't you remember I told you that if you believe, you will see my glory? John eleven forty. Now, this fellow who's given his 30-minute God story talk, 
His little refrain is, if I believe, I will see his glory. If I trust him, I will see his glory. If I let him love me, I will see his glory. So I went into that Friday morning meeting and I had nothing. I was just as low as I could be. As a matter of fact, if you knew my story, knew what I was going through, you'd say, well, how are you doing, Clyde? And I'd go, here's my response. I'm being gutted. I've never been this discouraged, this disappointed, this hurt, this angry. I mean, I was just out of it, totally out of it. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm hearing this guy say, if you believe, um, you will see my glory. I hear Jesus saying that to me. So a few weeks later, um, I'm driving back from a very, very painful meeting in Greensboro. I live in Winston-Salem, so many of you know this road. I'm on 4085 going west, 40 and 85 split. And so I'm driving along uh, and, uh, and in my car, and I'm just feeling upset, angry. I'm going from being angry to incredibly sad. And so there are three, six lanes, three go over Charlotte, 85, three or 40. So I'm in the middle lane, I'm actually going slow. For somebody like me who loves to go fast, I'm maybe doing the speed limit, maybe. Um, so anyway, I'm starting to cruise along, and all of a sudden, on my right side, if you've ever been past when you're on an inter, you know, expressway, and they pass you on the right side, how's it make you feel? Well, for me, it's like, I'm ticked, <laughs> you know? I'm in the middle lane, get over in the far lane if you're gonna pass me. Well, all of a sudden, this, this woman, you know, it uh, comes racing by me. And again, I'm not happy because a woman is passing me, you know, in the wrong lane. And so I'm ticked off. So I decide I'm going to speed up and catch her, maybe give her a little love tap with my bumper, you know, in Jesus' name. So anyway, um, and so I'm speeding up to catch up with her. And then she slows down. Oh my gosh, she slows down. And like, now I am really, I'm close to road rage, but I'm not going to go there in Jesus' name. But I'm, I'm slow, and, I'm, and I get right up on her bumper. And I look at down, there's a North Carolina license plate. Now, if you're from North Carolina, you know that in North Carolina, you can buy what's called a vanity plate, <laughs> where you put on there what you want to put on there. You're the only person in the state of North Carolina who has, okay, who has that plate, right? So I get right up on her bumper, and I look down, and it says John 1140. So what is John 1140? Jesus said, if you believe, you will see my glory. And, and I, I'm just overwhelmed with God's presence, you know, kind of like when my mom would box my ears, you know, so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in pain, but I'm comforted. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you said that if I believe, I will see your glory. And as I sat there, I heard Jesus saying, you're not being gutted, you're being plowed up. You're not being gutted, you're being plowed up. Now the disciples are getting ready to be gutted, aren't they? They're going to go to the cross, they're going to watch Jesus go through the worst death ever. The, the Savior, the friend they love, is going to be beaten to a pulp, nailed to a cross, and die a miserable, ugly, awful death. They're getting ready to be gutted, right? Uh, but what happens to them when they begin to understand what Jesus did for them on the cross? They see the glory. <laughs> they see the glory of God. So the good news is that Jesus comes 
not to let the world gut us, but to plow us up through the suffering in our deepest place. Now, a new book has just come out by a guy named Kurt Thompson called The Deepest Place, How Suffering Shapes Hope in Us. So if some of you are being gutted right now by the hardship of your life, the suffering of others, and you're feeling deep, deep, unresolvable, despair, depression, pain, hopelessness, foolishness, anger, let me tell you, this book looks like gold. It just came out this past week, and I know the writer, and his name's Kurt Thompson, and oh my gosh, can't wait to read it. So think about getting that book. But Jesus prayed that in the midst of the darkest, hardest place that we find ourselves, he wants the love that he wants to show us to break through. And that's good news. Because when you begin to understand your story, your story starts before the fall. It starts before your family's story. It starts in eternity, whether the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit knew you delighted you and sang over you. Some of you know the worship song, Before I Was Born, You Were Singing Over Me. Uh, Jesus has been singing over you from all eternity. Once they begin to develop and think about how were they going to rescue us from what the fall has done to ruin creation, uh, which was extremely good, very good, and how the fall had ruined everything, uh, creation, just the devastation of the fall, how would redemption begin to flow into the world? How would they do that? Well, you were known, you were loved, and why did God want to make you and me? So that we would worship him? He didn't need worship her, uh, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one being, three persons, they were perfect in every way, they had everything they needed, did he need workers? Because he's going to make this world. And so what he wanted to make you and me so that we would be workers for him on this fallen world. He didn't need workers either. So why would God create us? Because the exquisite love that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the unbelievable, inexpressible joy that they experienced together, the joy they found in giving glory to each other, they wanted to share it. So let me give you the best news. The good news is this, is that our God wants to share with you the same love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were intertwined and in experiencing forever and ever and ever. And it will continue forever and ever. They want to share it. Now the problem is, how are they going to get this unbelievable commitment to us, to us, we see it here right at the beginning of John 17 where Jesus says, Father, it's my time. And notice what Jesus prays, Father, glorify me. Which is, you know, he gave up his glory when he became fully a man. He's fully God. He gave up his glory. But now he's asking for that glory, the beauty and the majesty of this greatest gift that you can know and experience, which is the love of God. There's nothing that compares to knowing the perfect love of God is that Jesus was going to go to the darkest, most evil place, the emblem of all that's wrong and evil in this world, and bring God's glory to the cross. Wow. He was going to bring it to the cross. But let me give you now what makes this the best news ever, is, is that most of you have an awareness of the guilt of your sin. 
You know that you've done things that are wrong. You're in church, you're coming because you know you need to be forgiven. Um, but do you know how much you need to be free from the shame of your sin? Uh, how God wants to reveal his glory to you and what his son has done. You know, in uh, um, a sermon by Tim Keller on this, and uh, uh, I want to read to you what Keller says about this passage. He says, Jesus Christ's ultimate glory, the ultimate expression of God's glory is not after the shame of the cross. It is in the shame of the cross. And so, have you seen the glory of Christ to come into your shame? Now, what is shame? Well, shame is a sense of, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be pretty enough or smart enough or strong enough or fast enough. I'm never going to be whatever, but I'm not enough. And the weight of that is crushing my spirit. It causes me to doubt the goodness of God, the goodness of what I'm hearing right now. It just, it, it pollutes everything about me. But shame is the primary way evil gets into your story and makes you feel very small and makes you want to run away and do stupid stuff just to escape the pain of this world. So you're living a very distracted life. And here's the psychological term, you disassociate. So if I was to sit down with you and just, you know, you were lining up and I'd say, tell me what you need today. Where is your greatest heartache? Um, I'm sure I'd hear unbelievable pain because each one of you represent a story, a story of suffering, pain, loss, tragedy, where if you are willing to get real and say, here's where it is, Jesus has overcome it, but you need help to believe that and experience it and receive it, is that shame says you're hopeless. You know, one of the favorite uh, trilogies I love to read, I love epic stories of, you know, that put together all kinds of things happening that puts good against evil, usually in some kind of another world kind of thing, where there's a story where a series of two trilogies together are the story of Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever, the half-hand, the leper. Um, but you love the title because the author's wrestling with the struggle that most modern people have is one, they don't believe, they, they struggle to have faith, and then they have contempt for themselves because of the way shame has affected their story. And in this story, the main character, Thomas Covenant, struggles with shame like you wouldn't believe. In this world, he's a big time loser, but in the other world, he is a redemptive figure. So he's called in another world to fight for everything good, right, and he's the one the stories talk about who will rescue the world from the, the pain and the sorrow of evil of Lord Fowl. Okay, so, but he gets in the other world. He's got to be a hero. He's got to be, have courage. He's got to believe all these things are true about him. And he hates it. <laughs> he doesn't want to be that person. But he has on his hand a white gold wedding ring, which is the source of his power. So I have one of these. So don't worry. It doesn't work the way it does in the story. Because when he gets ticked off, he just lays out his white gold wedding ring. And he slays all these evil creatures just with the power of his wedding ring. And so, but in the story, uh, Lord Fowl will appear to Thomas and say, despair, despair. 
and, and Thomas can just feel himself withering under this cry of despair. And I wonder how many of you have let that creep into your story, into your heart, and you've really given up on yourself. You give it up on your dreams. You don't have many dreams. And if you do, they're all broken up. Um, your life is characterized by fear, unbelief, sadness. But there's just this sense of despair. Now, a good friend of mine who's a gifted elder in Richmond, he says, my big fear from the people at our community is that they will settle. And here's how you can know shame is just twisting you and distorting who you are because you resigned yourself that you're as good as it gets right now. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. And I, I'm just despaired about, I, I'm not really gonna change, my life's never gonna change, I'm never gonna be different, it's always gonna be like this. I wanna say to you, repent. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible place to be, isn't it? Where you give up on yourself or on other people, you give up on your family, you give up on your kids, you just begin to live a life of despair. Now, this same figure who's in the world also has a redemptive presence that comes into his life. So Lord Fowl will come and throw Thomas off. And then this other person will appear as a woman, as a child, or whatever, and get in his ear and say, remember, remember. Now, this is a white gold wedding ring, and inside it is inscribed the word Remember. Remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. That before all of this that we see with our senses, when Jesus said, let there be light, before there was light, Jesus was saying, I love her. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's gather together and celebrate her. Let's celebrate the beauty and the wonder of what she's going to bring into the fallen world that will rebel because we made it, freedom to choose, choices were made, and now I can't wait for my daughter to shine. I can't wait for my son to partner with other people to bring my light into a dark world. Remember who you are. And if you will, you know what? It's going to happen. You're going to have joy, and you're going to laugh a lot today and tomorrow because you're going to... I, this is crazy. <laughs> I can't believe this is true. I can't believe this has happened to me. But that's the giveaway that you believe that God loves you as much as he does. You can't stop smiling. <laughs> You're free. You love to love. You love to be loved. You love to celebrate. You love to snuggle, <laughs> you know? So with my grandkids, we were just at Smith Battle Lake and uh, one of our granddaughters who's seven, she would, I'd be sitting in the couch or in a chair, and she'd just get up and say, Papa, can we snuggle? And she'd just snuggle in there, and big smile. You see, when you know Jesus that well, when you know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you want to get together, get the Bible. This is your blanket, you know. Father, can we snuggle? <laughs> can I get in this book? Papa, can we snuggle in, in the word here? Can I read over this prayer and see how rich it is for me? Because I'm not being gutted, I'm being plowed up. So I can hear this simple word that Jesus said, I have prayed for them that they would believe that they are as loved as much as I love, I've been loved by you. How would your life change if you believed that God loved you? as much as he says. 
And I encourage you, I challenge you to share that with some other people, to sit down with people and say, let's just share with each other. Share in your small groups, share with your best friends, share with your kids and just say, ask them and say, how would mama change if mama believed that Jesus loves her as much as he says he does? Or for your dads, how would dad change? How would daddy change? How would dada change? If he believed it, ask your kids, and they might speak the very word that God wants to give you because your superpower is kicking in. You're humbling yourself. Now, if you really want to risk it, ask it to your spouse. Okay, for those of you who are married, just ask your wife, how do you think I would change if I believe God loves me as much as he says? I said, I answered a Jesus prayer. Will you have the courage to do that? Wow. Get ready. Get ready. All right. So one last movie endorsement here. And some of the people who heard me in the first service, so pray for them. The Lord will help them get through this. But one of my favorite movies is Nacho Libre. Okay. Uh, So in Nacho Libre, it is a great redemptive story. The movie is so bad, it's good. Um, If you... um, like to listen to podcasts, discover the podcast, rewatchables, because these people on the podcast talk about movies you've already seen and you need to rewatch it because it's so good. Well, I want to start a podcast where it's rewatchables, bad movies that are so bad they're good. Nacho Libre is, is so bad. It's hysterical. It's some people, family's favorite movie. Can you believe it? it it's just like, it's hysterical. If you haven't seen it, here's your assignment, all right? Here's your application from the Word of God today. You know, is go home this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, because you got tomorrow. And I know some of you are going to start watching and start gagging, but trust me, it is worth it. But just look for how the, the writer of the story brings in redemptive themes I've been sharing with you right now. But here's Jack Black, a.k.a. Mark Upton. Uh, and um, here's Jack Black. He's the Nacho Libre. And there are lots of scenes of the movie that if you watch it, you'll love. But my favorite scene in the movie is he is the cook for an uh, orphanage run by the Catholic Church, I think in Mexico. Yeah. And he's, he's in charge of providing food, but he doesn't have enough money to buy the food, so he decides to become a wrestler. So that's the Nacho Libre place. But a nun is talking to him about how hard his job is because he doesn't have enough money to buy the food. And... Jack Black is really attracted to the nun, but that's a different story. And, um, and so he's looking and he's talking to the nun. And he says, you know, the priest, and I can say this word because I'm in a church of grace. So anyway, he says to the, he says to the nun, the priest don't think I know a buttload about the gospel, but I do. <laughs> do you know a lot about the gospel so much so that if you start to spiral out, you start to get hit, you start to be concussed by the world, you go, Jesus, I want to read John 17 again. I need to hear you pray for me that I would know the same love the Father had for you. And it, it, it'll change your life. I can guarantee you, if you'll sit with this prayer, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. Just read John 17 Verse 26, read the prayer and say, Jesus, fulfill that prayer in my life today. Show me your glory. Because many of you are like Lazarus. You're in the tomb. You've settled. You've given up on yourself. Shame is enveloping your story in such a way that you've stopped believing in how you can change.
When the gospel's real, here's what you look for. One, that you believe it, but secondly, you want to become like Christ in everything you do. So here's my last illustration. I know I'm going a little bit long here, but show me mercy. So there is a, a surgeon in Winston-Salem. He's the premier hip and knee surgeon in Winston-Salem. He's replaced both my hips. Um, and I've known him for a long time. I knew him when he was a student at Wake when I started Redeemer Church in Winston-Salem with my wife, Valerie. Uh, but I went to see him and, uh, and to talk to him after this second surgery and thank him and say, David, I just want to thank you for your skill, how good you are and what you do. And he wanted to talk about his faith and what God was doing in his life. And here's what he said to me. He said, Clyde, you know the movie Chariots of Fire where... The famous missionary runner, uh, Eric Little, says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He said, Clyde, I want to live a life that whatever I do, I feel his pleasure. You see, when you begin to understand that, you, come, you stop being a consumer of your faith. You become consumed by it. Because at the cross, Jesus entered into the very shame of your story and broke its power once forever so that you're not ruled by your shame. You're ruled by the love that God showed you when Jesus died for you and now lives for you. And you can't be the same. So here's the last challenge. Think about this for 30 days. What would it be like if everything I do, big and small, loading the dishwasher, doing laundry, walking the dog, working out, that when I'm working out, I go to work out at CrossFit to feel his pleasure. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love of Jesus that will not let us go. And when we feel our faith will fail, you will not let us go. So Jesus, help us today to enter into that, the thrill of it, the wonder of it. Jesus, we pray. Amen.